Hi, everybody. This is Jeannie Faulkner. You're listening to Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting, the podcast. I'm the author of Common Sense Pregnancy, the book, which is a Penguin Random House publication that came out last summer. And I'm hoping that if you're pregnant, know someone who's pregnant, thinking about getting pregnant, or you just want to know more about the inside scoop on pregnancy, prenatal care, and labor and delivery, you go pick up a copy, will ya? It's sold all over the place. Help a working author out. Uh, buy a copy for your girlfriend's baby shower, for your niece, your daughter, your brother-in-law, whoever you think could benefit from a common sense take on how to navigate pregnancy and prenatal care so mom and baby are healthy and happy with their outcome. So let's see. Let's do some email. I got one this week that I keep getting this email. This one is a big question. So I know that it's coming up in a lot of prenatal care offices. Terry wrote and says, my sister needs help. She is 34 weeks along and her amniotic fluid is measuring 32 and sometimes more. They're not telling her anything except don't worry. And she's really scared. They have her going in for a non-stress test and an ultrasound two times a week. Do you have any advice for us? Please help. Oh, Terry, I'm sorry. You guys are so worried. I'm happy to help. And, you know, please tell your sister. I'm thinking about her. I'm sorry she's feeling scared. I'd like to say that I think she should take her midwife or doctor's advice and try not to worry. But not worrying when, you know, any little thing is different during a pregnancy is unrealistic for any mother. I was a massive worry wart during my pregnancies. Less so with, you know, pregnancy three and four than I was with pregnancy one and two, but I get it. Worrying is what we do when we're carrying precious cargo. So um, Terry, here's what I want you to do. I want you to download episode seven, which we first broadcast on December 19th of this here podcast. Um, you can find it on iTunes. Um, and in that episode, one of my very favorite midwives explains polyhydramnios, which is what we call having a high amniotic fluid level, like your sister. And um, Karen Parker is the midwife, and she does a great job of it. So I want you to go give that a listen, and then get your sister to listen too. Plus, tell her to read the chapter in my book about late pregnancy curveballs and how to roll with them. I hope that helps, Terry. Please tell your sister I'm thinking about both of you. Let's see, what else? So last week, I mentioned I was going to go do some work with CARE, a humanitarian organization I've been working with for quite some time. CARE works to eradicate extreme poverty for women, girls, and their families all over the world. I do advocacy work for them, and every so often, the bunch of us advocates gather together from all over the country to talk about politics, policy, and how to use our voices, votes, and influence as citizens to help women and girls who need us to advocate for them. So this group I get to hang out with and train with and lobby on Capitol Hill with is made up of plain old citizens like myself from both parties, every state, and from just about every background, culture, and walk of life that I know. I love this group because no matter what their personal political opinion is, they spend their spare time doing what every American should do. They take part in the American political process. 
Now, I've been pretty vocal about the fact that I'm with her. I'm a big fan of Hillary Clinton. And as a 50-something-year-old woman who's been a feminist since preschool practically, I want a woman in the White House more than almost anything else. I want to see what real change looks like when it's led by a woman. Now, I know some of you disagree with me fiercely, and I respect your right to do that. But I think having women in leadership positions is so important that I'm making the argument that without it, we'll never make any real progress on changing laws in this country to better represent women, families, parents, children, and just about every group that is underrepresented in Congress right now. I'm going to ask you all to give a good listen to today's episode and keep an open mind. I'm working hard to do the same. We're going to call a young woman who works at Emily's List, and she is committed to helping more women get elected at every level of government. She's going to help me connect the dots between politics, pregnancy, prenatal care, and parenthood. Now, I got to warn you guys, um, I pre-recorded this um this uh, interview, and I got a couple of technological glitches in it, and I apologize for that. Give it a listen anyway, um, and let's get Alyssa Frankie on the line. Hello there. Hi, Alyssa. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I am doing good. I'm good. Let me introduce you first off, and then you, we get to talk about um, DC a little bit. Alyssa Frankie is the social content coordinator at Emily's List, the nation's largest resource for women in politics. And we're finding you in Washington, D.C. today, right? Yep. I'm here at Emily's List headquarters in Washington, D.C. And the weather is probably tame and livable at this time of year? Right. we are uh, just got the last little bit of summer here and uh, fall's starting up. So hopefully the heat and humidity will be gone soon. Um, I think when we were talking earlier, I mentioned that I generally get to D.C. I always get there in the spring when the humidity is just really, really starting to flare. And I've got this long, curly hair and it just the frizz factor is intense. It's intense. (laughs) Yep, I'm sure. All my curly haired friends have the same problem. So how do women in D.C. function? Is it all about the bun and the hair products? It's all about the air conditioning, how quick you can run from one air-conditioned room to the next. <laughs> okay, well, now that we've got the really important things out of the way, yes. <laughs> my first question for you is, who are you and what do you do? So I manage all the social media accounts for Emily's List, making sure that candidates and the issues they care about, um, such as uh, Lisa Blunt Rochester, one of our candidates who actually has her primary today as we're recording this podcast. Where? Uh, in Delaware. She is running for the Delaware at-large seat, and she can be both the first woman and the first uh, person of color to ever represent Delaware in Congress. Ooh, got mm-hmm. that. That's an interesting, interesting election to follow. Yep, it's a history-making race. Yeah. So let's talk about, you know, what Emily's List is. Mm-hmm. 
So Emily's List is an organization uh, that works to elect pro-choice Democratic women to office. Um, we believe that we need to have more diverse perspectives in office and leadership that reflects America. Um, so we work to elect uh, women who will fight for women and families at care about. Um, so we make sure that um, they have all the resources that they need to be able to run winning campaigns across the country, up and down the ballot, in every position except that one last position that we're holding out for in this cycle. Um, so this year, Emily's List is working to elect women from 21 states, nine women to the Senate, 33 women to the House, and two governors. And more than a third of the women we've endorsed for Congress this cycle are women of color. Ooh, so Democratic pro-choice women. Mm-hmm. Okay, so some of my listeners are going to be saying, well, that's not me. Um, I think that what I want to do most of all with our conversation, Alyssa, is I want to mm-hmm. kind of connect the dots for many of my listeners who may wonder, you know, what is the big deal about the election when it comes to the conversations that you know I'm having with my listeners here on Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting? Now, it's pretty obvious to you and me, but maybe you could kind of you know answer the question of how does this apply to women's lives? So decisions about women's health are primarily primarily made on the state and local level, and we need leaders who will defend and expand women's access to reproductive health care in all the positions that they're running for. So the candidates that we are working to elect are fighting to defend access to women's health care, are fighting to even expand access to women's health care, and make sure um, that we protect um, the services that women really need and deserve. Um, So, you know, the candidate that we've endorsed for president this uh, has really led the charge um, to defend and expand women's access to reproductive health care. Okay, um, Alyssa, I'm going to interrupt you for result made uh, the Democratic platform the most progressive platform in history, um, and really centered women's health care issues in that platform um, and made sure that women um, have access uh, to the health care that they need and deserve. So, Alyssa. Um, you and I are continuing to have a couple of little audio glitches, and you cut out for just the moment when you named the candidate that you were talking about. Now, clearly, the rest of it, if everyone heard that, makes it pretty obvious who you're talking about. But just so that we're very clear, you're talking about Hillary. Oh, yes. We are absolutely talking about Hillary Clinton. Absolutely. Um, I've been pretty out about the fact that I think that It is essential, it's critical for um, the United States going forward that she is our candidate. Um, And not solely because I don't feel like the Republican candidate has, I don't feel like he represents me in any way at all, but also because historically, it's time. Now, I know what I mean by that. What do you and Emily's List think about that? Uh, Well, we absolutely agree that it is time to elect a woman to the White House. You know, we really need those diverse perspectives in office, um, and we need uh, 
you know, women who have those same experiences and perspectives um, to be reflecting that. Um, And, you know, it's not just important for the White House, it's important up and down the ballot. We need more women in the Senate. We need more women in Congress. We need more women in the state and local offices on a regular basis. Um, And, you know, we really believe um, that um, women will prioritize the issues that matter to women and families. Um, And the research has really borne that out. Um, And, you know, what's particularly exciting and uh, historic about this election cycle is that Emily's List has endorsed nine women running for Senate. And, um, you know, women can be the ones to flip control of the Senate this year uh, from uh, Republican control to Democratic control. And we're not just fighting, you know, on that sort of broader macro scale. We're fighting for the individual candidates themselves who will be fighting to protect access to women's health care in their states, in the Senate. Um, And they've been fighting for these issues throughout their career. So a lot of times when we talk about women's health in a political arena, people are, um, you know, they, they make it a one topic issue. You know, if we're talking about women's health, we're talking about abortion. When actually, abortion is a blip on the screen when it comes to comprehensive women's health. And women's health is, you know, directly correlates with how well a woman will come through her pregnancy, how well she'll enter into parenthood how well she'll be able to raise her child. All of those things are like, that's like the 99% of what we're talking about. Do you think so? Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, you know, women's health care, it's, we talk about it, but it affects so many different um aspects of a woman's life. And it's, you know, not just about a woman's issue or a healthcare issue. It's a family's and economics issue. Yeah. Um, and you're absolutely right that we're talking about um, a lot of different in this election cycle. Um, and we are um, really supporting candidates who will um, fight for the full spectrum of women's health care needs. Um, you know, we have, have um candidates fighting really to defend Planned Parenthood, which is an essential provider of women's health care services across the country. Um, and, you know, this is a really crucial issue in a lot of the elections that um, we, uh, a lot of the campaigns that we're supporting this cycle. Um, and, you know, a lot of these cam- candidates that we're running against um, don't have a great record on women's health care issues. Um, just to give you an example, Chuck Grassley co-sponsored an amendment to let certain employers deny health care coverage to employees. And um, something that's especially notable today is the 22nd anniversary of the Violence Against Women Act. And he voted against supporting Patty Judge in that race, who has been a staunch supporter of protecting women's access to essential health care services um, and, you know, won't support legislation that lets people deny women access to the health care that they've earned, that they need, that they deserve. Right, right. Um, you mentioned um, that Planned Parenthood is, you know, you have great support for Planned Parenthood, as do I. Um, just mm-hmm. this weekend, 
our president signed into law some uh, piece of legislation that provides permanent funding. Am I right? Yes, and we are very, very excited that uh, President Obama uh, signed that. That is going to be really essential. And, you know, it's it is a crucial issue in this election cycle. You have um, the Republican ticket for president that has parenthood, a central promise of their campaign. Um, and this is also crucial in Senate races as well. Um, you know, we have uh, multiple uh, incumbent senators that we are opposing um, that have um, voted to defund Planned Parenthood um, and uh, de- deny funding uh, to Planned Parenthood. Um, and uh, so, you know, this is uh, going to be essential in all races up and down the ticket uh, this cycle. And again, people hear Planned Parenthood and they think one thing. They think, oh, mm-hmm. you go to Planned Parenthood to get um, family planning or you get to get an abortion. And while both of those are, yeah, that's true. You can do those things there. And I know countless women, millions of women who go to Planned Parenthood to get their birth control. Um, very, very few women, when you look at the entire piece of the pie, are actually um, requiring requiring or getting abortions. And a lot of people don't understand that the small fraction of services that Planned Parenthood does provide that are abortion-related Um, it's not funded by the federal government. There's no federal funding. There's no governmental funding. There's none that goes into those Mm -hmm. programs. What it does protect is the health care for women who are getting mammograms and well-woman exams and pap smears. And, you know, the whole, for many women, that's the only access to health care they have. That's it. They have Planned Parenthood. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's a really essential for um, especially low-income women to be able to access the healthcare services um, that they rely on. Um, and, you know, it's, you know, they have done so much to defund Planned Parenthood, um, you know, s- supporting a government shutdown um, in order to be able to deny funds to Planned Parenthood. And what we're currently seeing um, in Congress is that Republicans are holding up uh, funds uh, to fight Zika um, because they want to be able to defund Planned Parenthood, which is really crucial in the fight against Zika to be able to have um, those essential services available to women in affected areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we're not just fighting for candidates who will defend access. Um, we want to be able to, um, su- you know, we want candidates to support giving the women access to this health care. It's just, it's absolutely essential. To me, this concept of, you know, Republican Congress holding up funding to prevent women from having the services they need to avoid getting spreading Zika virus to their unborn babies is cruelty. (laughs) It's cruelty. It's ridiculous. Um, One thing I kind of wanted to touch on is, you know, this, we know that Texas has been, you know, the poster child for, or the poster state for um, restricting and reducing women's access to women's health care services. And this has been going on for enough years now that we've collected the data and we know that during this time period um, of, you know, really extreme restriction, where 
women may have to dra- travel even across you know state lines to be able to get the services they need. Um, that we're seeing a direct correlation to the maternal mortality rate in Texas rising. Now, it's rising all over the country, and this is a sad state of affairs that the United States is one of only fewer than a dozen countries in the entire world that have a rising maternal mortality rate. Um, But we know that when that happens, it's a pretty clear sign that the healthcare system in that country with the rising maternal mortality rates, that there's something really wrong. And, you know, we could talk about that all day long. What's wrong with the U.S. healthcare system? That's a big, big topic. Um, but when women don't have access to the services they need, they either take desperate measures or they don't get the health care they need. Right. You know, the, the results of the studies that have been coming out about the maternal mortality rate in Texas are just really disheartening. And it's the consequences of anti-choice legislation, which just really underscores the need to elect women uh, at all levels of office um, in every state, up and down the ballot, uh, who will fight to defend access to health care for women and not play political games with it. You know, we talked a little bit earlier about... Um you know, why we need a diverse, uh, to, to diversify who's representing us in government. Um, and w- one thing I thought of is we need that in government because I think right now, don't we have about 18% of government seats across the board, you know, from top level down to local level are held by women? Is it about 18% right now? Um, on that particular stat, um, I, I don't know uh, across the entire country, um, but, you know, it's certainly not anywhere near parity. Um, and we absolutely need more women in leadership perspect- uh, in leadership positions with those diverse perspectives. And women um, make up know, what? Women, Sorry, go ahead. Women make up what? 51% of the population? 48% of the workforce? And 100% of the mothers? Yeah, if you if you want to pause for just a second, um, Alex will be able to pull that stats. Okay, we can come back to that. We'll come back to that. But you know, yeah. even if I'm okay. off by a percentage point or so, you know, the point is is that we are not represented in government. We aren't represented. I mean, even if there are eighteen percent or twenty percent or even twenty two percent of women in seats, what that means is that our political opinions our values, our needs, our lives are being represented by men. And bless their hearts, I know a lot, a lot of really good men, but they don't think like I do. They don't have my needs. They don't represent my opinions and attitudes. The other thing we know with those really, really small numbers is that when you put, you know, 10 people around a a boardroom table, and eight or nine of those, the people sitting at the table are men, and one or two is a woman, we know that that woman isn't going to speak up um, as, she's not as likely to speak up, and she's not necessarily going to speak as forcefully um, if she doesn't have other women there to support her. And, you know, we just hold the numbers uh, real quick, Uh, 19.4% of Congress is women. Um, That's 20% of the Senate um, and 19.3% of the House. Um, And you're right that we absolutely need women 
in these leadership positions because they will have that unique perspective um, of their own situations um, and be able to fight for policies um, that perhaps other legislators won't be fighting for. Um, and we have a really great example from our Senate race in Illinois, um, Tammy Duckworth, um, who is a hero and a veteran, um, and she's also um, a mother. Um, and she recently Mother's Act. And this was a direct result of her experience as a new mother commuting back and forth between Illinois and Washington, D.C. Can you um, can you repeat the name of that act? Tra- traveling. She, you know, really saw how major airports were not providing sufficient facilities for breastfeeding mothers to be able to feed their babies or be able to pump milk. Um, And so this bill would require major airports to provide lactation rooms. And it's just a really perfect example of how she has that unique perspective on an issue that so many mothers face, and she's fighting for it in Congress. Can you repeat the name of that act? Uh, It's the Friendly Airports for Mothers Act. Okay. So I was at this conference a number of years ago about, of all things, spirituality and politics. And um, the themes that kept coming up were um, issues that are a little bit outside of what we generally think of in terms of, you know, politics and motherhood. I believe, of course, that, you know, we have to represent the lifespan of motherhoods. And one of the examples that came up or one of the issues that came up in this conference was the issue of if women and mothers were seated at the big table, you can bet that our children wouldn't be in prison at the rates that they are now. You can bet that our children wouldn't be hungry or lacking access to the educational services they need or the job services they need because mamas wouldn't do that to the children in our society. Now, that's not to say that men do allow that. But, you know, historically and culturally and contextually, men have already been, they've always been out to work and women have been the ones protecting, you know, some of the closer in community values. And we have not had that represented in politics. I am just, you know, there's just so many ways we need women. We need women badly. But we- Absolutely. But women don't want to run. Women don't want to run. So it's um, the, the issue of women running um, for office is, is complicated. You know, we've found that um, it uh, takes a few times for a woman to be asked to run for office. But that's really why organizations like Emily's List um, are here. You know, we want to encourage women to run for office, to make their voices heard. Um, and we want to make sure that they have all the resources and the support they need to get their campaigns launched um, and to be able to run for offices up and down the ballot. So the thing that I think of, you know, when I think about women running for office is oh my God, who can handle the scrutiny? Who can handle the criticism? I, I mean, wh- <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you don't have a comment for that, Alyssa, but that's what I think of. 
You know, it's it's something that a lot of women, you know, mention as a concern when they're running for office. But you know what? We always are here to provide support um, to help women with that. Um, and you know, it's we just we constantly feel that we just need to be asking women to run to make them feel comfortable to run and let them know that they have support, they have resources. You know, if you come to any of our parties with us, no one is no woman's able to leave the room without being asked to run for office at least once by a staff member at Emily's List. Wow, wow. Well, I think that, you know, that is yet another reason why we need more women in office because the more women that represent us in government, the more that culture of scrutiny is going to change. I really believe it because, you know, once you get four women at the table, you start getting women's opinions included. And I bet that that would even extend to you know, running for office. Women would say, knock it off already. Let's get down to business. <laughs> we would hope. <laughs> we would hope. Let's hope. Let's do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I can hope for that. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. So um, sexism. How about that? This week, Hillary got sick and she showed up for work with pneumonia because, you know, women do that. You don't you don't call in sick to work for something that's as important as representing um, yourself and your your party and your candidacy at the September 11th prayer vigil prayer memorial. Of course, she would go to that even if she had pneumonia, and yet she is getting spanked. What about that? What do you think? You know, campaigns are really tough, even at Emily's list. You know, we're working day in and day out, and everyone gets sick now and again. And if I'd been working Hillary's schedule, I would have had pneumonia months ago. You know, <laughs> she should just really be commended for her dedication to the people that she's fighting for and the issues that she is supporting. Um, and, you know, pneumonia lasts only a few days, but a Donald Trump presidency would last for four years. <laughs> and the real issue is people keep pushing sort of these conspiracy theories pushed by the alt-right and websites like Breitbart, whose editor is now running the Donald Trump campaign. And it's turning the conversation, they're trying to turn the conversation away from Donald Trump's insults towards women, uh, towards families, towards gold star families, to veterans. And we really just need to bring the focus back on that and on those issues that really it's distracting. This is a distracting can- um, presidential campaign. It's really bizarre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a lot older than you are, so I've been, I've you know watched a lot of campaigns, and I have never seen anything like it. I even I even have some vague, very vague childhood recollections of Watergate. I mean, not really. I was a little kid, but um, I don't think it. It's just bizarre. This is like circus quality campaigning sometimes. You know, there's it's it's been an interesting cycle, but we are just continuing to push forward to, you know, bring the focus back on the issues that really matter in this campaign. And we shouldn't get sidetracked by, you know, whatever the alt-right is pushing today or the latest conspiracy theories from them. Right. And, you know, also what matters in this cycle. Yeah. Also, the alt left. We're seeing a lot of, well, not a lot, actually. It's settling down. But we're, you know, we're seeing 
um, you know, people that were Bernie Sanders supporters, maybe going to the Green Party or to other um, third parties. Um, we're seeing, you know, a little bit in the news cycle about, you know, various candidates that are not Democrat or Re- Republican. Not much, but, you know, it's out there. And I am, a, I have a little concern in this coming campaign that disenfranchised Democratic voters um, might toss their vote that way to a third party candidate. And that worries me. That worries me a lot. Um, but maybe, maybe you have an opinion about that. So I was actually um, at the convention. I was in the room. Uh, accepted her party's nomination, and it was really just an inspiring moment. You know, there was so much support and unity and excitement in that room, um, and. The stakes are just so high in this election that people are coming together, not just because they love Hillary, though that's the huge reason people are coming together. People are coming out to stop Trump. And I think ultimately, you know, that's a major issue for everyone in this election cycle. Um, One of the other things that I think uh, is incredibly important about this election cycle, 53% of voters in this, um, 53% of voters are women and seven and ten women do not like Donald Trump. So in this election cycle, women are going to be the ones that can stop Trump. And I think that will bring everyone to behind that cause. Yeah. So um, yesterday, I think it was probably you, but I noticed on um, Emily's list web uh, Facebook page or maybe it was on Twitter. That, um, if it was on Twitter or Facebook, that was definitely me. Yeah, I thought so. The Cosmo article about, you know, 14 reasons why women should vote. Let's talk about yes. some of those reasons. Yes. So, you know, that was a very uh, good article from Cosmo, but was because it's especially important for young millennial women to be voting in this election cycle. Um, and it touches on a lot of the things that we've already discussed, you know, that our health care, our reproductive health care is really on the line in this cycle. Um, And it's going to be every office from your state and local elections to your congressional election, to your Senate election, to the presidential election cycle. No matter where you live, you need to get out and vote um, because we need to be protecting access to reproductive health care. And it's not just about that. It's about equal pay. It's about family leave. And it is about child care. Um, and child care is a particularly interesting issue today um, because Donald Trump was supposed to be talking a, a bit more about his child care policy. But, you know, it's just this same deep. Thing he was talking about earlier, and it's not going to provide the resources to families who need child care the most. You know, we need a major national solution that makes high quality um, child care affordable and accessible to all families, not a misguided and regressive plan that leaves working families behind. And Hillary has that comprehensive plan. She has talked about it so much and it is, uh, will make that childcare affordable and accessible. I agree Um, with you. Sorry, go ahead. I agree with you a hundred percent that these are the issues that many of the issues that need to be, um, 
we need solutions because clearly not only are we, you know, way behind other developed countries, but it's impacting us in ways that are not specifically gender related. I mean, it's it's affecting our national economy. It's affecting, you know, across the board, the lack of representation of women's opinions in our society and culture is impacting a lot. I have a feeling, and I could be really wrong on this, that, um, you know, young millennium, millennial women need to vote if we want to impact, um, you know, gun reform, um, you know, all kinds of things. to get out to, to vote and to talk about all of the issues that can impact us for years and years to come. You know, you're right that these issues that we think of as women issues are economic issues as well. You know, we can't just say that they only affect women and they, you know, they matter so much. And the, the decisions that are made in this election cycle will have an impact for a very long time, something we haven't discussed. If Democrats win this election cycle, we have the opportunity um, to change the makeup of the Supreme Court, which could infect, uh, could affect issues um, for decades and decades to come. Um, another way that impacts one of the races we've talked about, Chuck Grassley has absolutely refused to hold any hearing about President Obama's nominee to the Supreme Court, um, which is just, it's obstructionism. And it can... Uh, one of the favorite jokes we have in Iowa, Patty Judge running against Chuck Grassley. She's the judge that he can't ignore. And we really just need to have those Democratic women in the Senate and a Democratic woman in the White House that will support Supreme Court, uh, who will uh, support Supreme Court justice nominees, who will really fight about these issues that impact women and families. So let's talk a little bit about how digital media impacts people's decision-making practices. You know, you, I think that those, a lot of people in my generation worry that the only, um, you know, information about campaigns, candidates, and, you know, various political offices comes through sound bites, you know, 140 characters or less, or, you know, a nice little meme. And I think that that is actually a dismissive attitude. I think that probably that's an impression or a perception and not reality. But I want you to tell me a little bit about, you know, the impact that digital media and social media has on this election and on the way that you know, younger generations and older get information. Right. So Pew actually found earlier this year that 62% of U.S. adults get their news on social media, and that's up from 49% in 2012. So social media is a a huge resource um, and is something that will be very important in this election cycle. Um, And it's you know, a way to reach voters that campaigns might otherwise not be able to reach in person. Um, And so it's, you know, a day-to-day job doing of making sure that uh, our members, everyone on Twitter and Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, 
knows about the issues that are at stake in this election cycle and the candidates who are fighting for them. Um, and it's not just about helping people make decisions. It's about empowering, mobilizing, and engaging social media users. So what you're going to see a lot of in the coming weeks and months is campaigns reaching out, encouraging people to make sure they are registered to vote, um, or perhaps that they're voted early. Uh, early voting starts very soon um, in many states. Um, campaigns are using social media to make sure people know about volunteering opportunities, um, helping supporters network with each other um, to make sure that they are turning out other voters in their neighborhood. So I think it's a really um, important and exciting tool um, for being able to voters with, you know, your message that they're going to be fighting for the issues that really matter to women and families in this cycle, but also helping them get out and vote, get their family and friends out to vote and make sure that everyone is participating in this election cycle, which early voting starts in some states as early as September 29th. So everyone go and check your registration and make sure you are registered to vote in your state. And election day is November... 8th. 8th. November 8th. All right. It's coming up real soon. <laughs> it's coming up so soon. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I for, I will be a little bit ill until that day. <laughs> Although I'm 100% confident. I actually am. I, just a little bit ill. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's a really exciting historic election cycle. And, you know, I'm going to be overtired and working sun up to beyond that, but I am just so excited to be a part of this election cycle. I'm so excited to have the opportunity to help elect the first woman president. You are so damn lucky that you are getting this in your 20s. I mean, I'm in my 50s, and I have never been represented by a, a president ever, Um you know, I think that President Obama has been the closest thing to the best president ever. Um, but, you know, I have had some dealings um, with Hillary throughout the years that I've been working in um, with humanitarian organizations and a variety of women's um, groups. And I am so hopeful and so optimistic and so confident that this is our election. Finally, finally, finally. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So we've kind of talked about a lot of things. Is there anything else that you want to make sure that we cover before I ask you the big last question? No, I think uh, we've covered it all. We nailed it? Yep, we okay. did. Okay, all right. So the last question that I ask everybody is mm -hmm. this, and you can answer it any way you like. Where are you in terms of motherhood? You know, that's not something that's going to be on my horizon for a couple of years now, but I'm happy to go home all the time through the holidays and steal all my family members' children and run around with them for a little while. So you're, for you right now, it's something perhaps down the line, but more about your own mom. Sorry, say that again. The audio cut out a little bit. Okay. So for you... Motherhood is something that may or may not be, you know, something in your future. But for right now, it's something that, um, you know, you're on the outside with your friends, you're in that circle, and then with your own mom. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, it's, it's, this has been a really, uh, 
it, it's been a, it's been an exciting and interesting time, uh, with my relationship with my mother, you know, it's, um, you know, we're seeing this election cycle from two very different perspectives, but both equally excited about it. Um, and it's, you know, I don't see that being, you know, motherhood being something for me for quite a few years now, but, um, I am excited to, uh, you know, I just, you know, I have such a interesting, uh, and historic opportunity right now. And I'm incredibly grateful for the opportunity because my mother helped bring me to this point. You know, she helped raise me into the woman that I am today. And she just really set me down on this path that I thought fighting for other families, um, and fighting for other mothers who are trying to give their daughters the same opportunities, um, and support that I had that I was growing up in. So she's always my hero and she's the one helping me get through, uh, all of the, all of the interesting and exciting challenges that are coming up. Well, we'll have to make sure that she listens to this podcast and hears you say that. I'm sure she will. Yeah. Well, this has been great. I really appreciate your coming on and talking to us. Um, You know, I think our final words should be, anybody who's listening, you just make sure you're voting. You just do it. Just do it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Get out and vote. And not just for the big names. We need you to be voting for your local representatives, your state representatives, all of it. Up and down the ticket. Do your job, citizens. All right, we're going to talk again soon. Thanks again. Thank you for having me. Mama said there'll be days like this, there'll be days like this. Mama said, Mama said, Mama said, Mama said, said there'll be days like this, there'll be days like this. My mama said, 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 My guest today was Alyssa Frankie, social content coordinator at Emily's List. You can learn more about their work at emilyslist.org You can learn more about my work at jeanfaulkner.com You can email me uh, jean at jeanfaulkner.com You can tweet me at jeanfaulkner Find me on Facebook Um, You can find my book Common Sense Pregnancy anywhere books are sold You can donate to this podcast and help keep this conversation going Um And I'm, again, sorry about the few sound glitches today. Believe me, it wasn't part of a conspiracy theory aimed at hiding crucial political information. It was just a plain old techno snag that messed with our audio. We'll talk again next week. Um, I hope you're all doing well. Be in touch. Bye-bye.